Welcome to another episode of Chan with a Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. UX UI design is one of the hottest in-demand fields in the world right now, with tons of boot camps providing foundational knowledge to help anybody get started in the career of UX UI design. So if you are considering getting into UX UI design as a career change, or you're trying to land your first opportunity in UX UI design, I have recorded an episode that gives you the complete roadmap from A to Z, from choosing the right bootcamp to obtain your UX UI design knowledge to landing your first opportunity once you graduate from a bootcamp. And to help me in this discussion is someone that has recently completed just that. Her name is Shayna Danzinger. And this time last year, she was teaching in the classroom and organizing community events. When the pandemic hit, Shayna decided to take the risk and enroll in a full-time UX design bootcamp. She is now currently a UX UI designer at a large market research company. Shayna is passionate about sharing her story and empowering others to successfully take the dive into a new career path. She is involved in various design communities where she enjoys connecting with other designers and professionals. So if you are stuck in any point of the UX UI design journey, stop searching for different articles on Google because this episode, again, gives you the complete roadmap on how to go from not knowing anything about UX UI design to landing your first opportunity as a full-time UX UI designer. Now let's get into my discussion with Shayna to discuss her journey from starting off with no experience in UX UI design to being a full-time UX UI designer. Good morning, Shayna. Good morning, Max. How are you? Good. Isn't it great to start off a short week on a podcast interview? Yeah, it really it really is great. Yes, I'm excited. This is going to be amazing. Oh, fantastic. And this you're actually my first local interviewee, the first Torontonian. Oh, cool. Toronto Pride. Look at that. I, I usually want to ask this question when I speak to someone from Toronto. So are you actually living in Toronto or are you living in a suburb of Toronto? That is the best question I've heard, you know, like so accurate, so accurate. I'm actually in the suburbs. I'm in Vaughan, so a little bit north, but that's actually hilarious. You know, so many people are Torontonian and they're really Mississauga. They're really Oakville. So pretty accurate. Yes, I'm just in Vaughan. Yeah, I'm actually in Oakville. It was good that you guessed that. <laughs> nice, nice. Score. Yeah, because um, I have a lot of uh, American clients, right? And they ask me, oh, where do you live? Or where are you from? Or are you from Toronto? And then uh, if they ask me, are you from Toronto? I say, I'm actually from a suburb. And then they won't know what that is, right? That's because no one really knows what like Pickering, Ajax, Vaughn yes. is. Yes, uh, unless exactly. you're actually in the GTA. So I just say Toronto to make everything easier, right? Mm-hmm, totally simplifies it for sure. So it's great to have you on, Shayna. The main point of this discussion today is we connected on LinkedIn and I saw your profile and just going through your history from even just a couple of years, you weren't originally a UX UI designer. You were uh, doing something else. So can you just tell us more about your background prior to UX UI design and how you decided to take this path in terms of forwarding your career? Absolutely. So a bit about me. I grew up in actually a bit of a sheltered community where going to post-secondary education wasn't really encouraged. It wasn't really the norm what people did. So 
after I finished high school, I spent a year abroad studying kind of teaching and education. I got my sort of teacher certificate, which was a program that was kind of part of the community I grew up in. So it wasn't really venturing out. And after that year abroad, I came home, I started working right away in different private schools and planning a lot of different events. So all kinds of things for students, all kinds of things for communities and families. And the private schools, of course, you don't, you know, you don't really need prerequisites because it's private. So they'll hire whoever they decide to hire, which worked out well for me. And it was all it was all going really well. Like I was really, really enjoying myself. I was really using a lot of skills and it was challenging me. But then the pandemic hit, of course. And it just kind of got me thinking, you know, I feel like when the pandemic hit, everyone was kind of thrown into a room alone to think. And I was just kind of thinking long term, you know, I never really had that opportunity to explore what I was interested in, what I wanted to do. And UX really, I just stumbled into it. And I speak to a lot of people and a lot of people share this with me that they didn't even know what UX was. They somehow, you know, met someone that was a UX designer, product designer. And that was the same with me. I kind of found it. And the more I was kind of reading into it, I'm like, hey, this is cool, but you know what? There's going to be a reason why I don't like it. But then really, the more and more I read of it, the more and more I really got an understanding of it. And really, the more I just loved it, loved the idea. I was like, okay, what's next? How do I figure out how to do this? Obviously, I was watching a lot of YouTube. I was kind of getting myself aware of like what the space is, what is the industry. And I made the decision, you know, it's time to look into a program, time to look into how I can become a UX designer. So coming from that background, I had already been working for a few years. I, I was already past that. And so that was also part of my decision into why I wanted to take the boot camp. But yeah, that was kind of kind of it, like how, you know, didn't really have any kind of a, a lot of UX designers sort of have that background in arts and graphics and they just kind of transition smoothly. I can't say it was the same with me, but it was definitely a really, really cool thing to kind of discover. And I love that, you know, it blends that rationale and research with the art and creativity and design, which was just really, really fascinating to me. For those who aren't as familiar with UX, UI design, can you give us a very brief overview of what it is and what type of skills that you learn that is applicable into the workforce if whoever is listening is interested in diving into this field? Absolutely. Great question. So UX design stands for user experience design. So it's ultimately centered around a user's experience on any given digital platform. That could be an interface when you're going to do fast food, you know, and you're using that little thing where you can order. That could be your mobile apps, which are obviously much more common when you're actually learning and designing. It could be responsive, like, like a website, right? Anything where you're interacting with a computer or a digital device or a screen, that is uh, someone designed your experience that you're using there. So I like to think of user experience more as a process than one set thing. And the process that you're taught traditionally is, you know, the research, discovery, you're defining the problem, then you're kind of developing the solution that you're going to have, and you're iterating. It's it's a very kind of agile, iterative field. So it's not like we need this and you produce it. It's a lot more of empathizing, which is kind of a buzzword in the field, but you're really trying to get into the shoes of who are you designing for. And that is what kind of is guiding your whole design decisions. So the journey of when the user is coming onto your app, when they're entering your interface, which is like what they're interacting with, how are we making this the most enjoyable experience for them and really delightful, but really research-based? So what do people need to see first? What is, you know, so, so there's that groundwork. 
Okay, so if I go to McDonald's and there's those self-ordering kiosks, you as a UX UI designer, you would actually work with that team in order to create a great user experience to streamline that ordering process. Absolutely. And that might look like, you know, what do the users want to see right when they come in? Have they logged in yet? Do we want them to log in? Right. And obviously in a case where like you're doing fast food, maybe there's like a mini login. Maybe you just need to give them your name so that they can identify you. But it's like, what are they seeing? What's their first touch point? What do they need to see at a glance? What are they going to need to do next? What if they want to go back? So it's kind of exploring all these possibilities and at the same time trying to simplify it so that they're so that the user isn't overloaded with information, right? Have you ever been to like, maybe at the at the airport, right? When you're doing customs or you're scanning your thing and sometimes there's just too many options going on and you're trying to scan it, you're trying to understand and there's just too much going on and you're kind of freaking out. What do you choose? What do you do? What do you go back? Oh my gosh, you pressed the wrong thing. So all of this is hopefully being designed thoughtfully and carefully so that, you know, those kind of situations don't happen. But yes, like even McDonald's, you know, I, I can't say for certain, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, they have like a team of UX designers that are kind of doing the research and planning out what's going to be where. Great. And in terms of boot camps, there's BrainStation, which is the one that you enrolled in, but there's also like General Assembly. I think there's Red Academy. How did you decide which boot camp to or certification program to take? Good question. So I was a little bit thrown off when I first started looking into the different boot camps because like you said, there's so many and they're all so promising. They all say, you know, 100% job guaranteed. We are the best in the industry. And it's kind of overwhelming, especially because you're usually someone that's just discovered what UX is. You sort of feel like someone's scamming you, but you don't know who. And so it's a little intimidating. What I did is I think you need to be resourceful at that point. You need to decide what are your criteria for your school. Some that I think are a good idea, you want to make sure that the teachers are well-equipped. So you're going to get on the phone with someone that's from the school. They're going to be trying to get you to sign up with them. And you should have a list of questions of what, what's important to you. So for me, it was, you know, what makes your teachers credible? What's the curriculum? What, are, what, what do you cover, right? And what's your job success plan, right? Do you help me get a job? kind of covering the basis of what you want to make sure. Make a list of each boot camp, make a list of the pros and cons, the cost, right? There's so much involved. And I would also say speak to the alumni that are there because the alumni are going to be giving you the real feedback that you want to hear. So speaking to the teachers, speaking to the people that are recruiting, of course, of course, like it's going to be the best thing in the world for you. But when you speak to the alumni, the alumni just went through the program, right? They're going to be the ones that are able to tell you Honestly, they don't tell you this. This part was challenging. And you really get that like firsthand knowledge of what the experience is like. So that's what I did. And I ultimately went with BrainStation from, you know, the results that I got speaking to some alumni, speaking to the, uh, uh, you know, speaking to the recruiter, asking her all these questions. But I think you really don't want to be making this investment blindly. That's what I would say. Like you really, really want to be doing your, your research so that you go in confidently and you know you chose the right one. How does one contact previous alumni at the school? Yeah, I think the best way would be literally just on LinkedIn. You could look up BrainStation, you could look up General Assembly, whoever you're looking into, and they'll just pop up a list of people. In general, you're really gonna try to you're really gonna need to try to be as resourceful as possible throughout every step of this, right? Because it's sort of an unconventional decision altogether. So throughout the way, you know, you're going to come up with stuff that you didn't realize or challenges you didn't face, you know. I think it's important to know from the get-go, it's not a decision that's going to come easy. You're really going to have to 
jump right in, deep dive in. And this is probably going to be the first opportunity for you to kind of take charge and be like, okay, you know, I want to find out about the program. Let me look at people who have done it before. But yeah, LinkedIn is just one of the best ways of doing it. So when someone does the research in terms of networking with past students, what type of questions do you think they should ask? Yeah, I would ask for a general overview of the program. I would ask how they found the dynamic, right? Because dynamic is something that they're not going to speak about on the website. The dynamic of the classroom, especially as things have turned virtual, different places have a very different vibe, right? I think that's very important for the learning. You want to know, is it more formal? Is it more is it structured? Is it everyone collaboratively together or is it everyone kind of on their own? Ask about the workload because especially because everyone's coming from a different position, right? So if you're someone that's going to try to be working part-time while you're doing this, you really want to make sure you hear about the workload beforehand, right? So I think a part of it depends where you're coming from, like what position are you in when you're kind of looking into this bootcamp option and really just cover the bases, ask about the projects, ask about your background. If you're someone without any kind of design background, ask how challenging that was, right? And really try to just like tear apart this whole idea so that you go in very confidently. So you came from a non-technical background. How were you able to transition effectively into a technical field such as UX, UI design? Like what were some of this mindset that you had to pivot in order to make sure that you were able to absorb this knowledge that you're going to get from BrainStation effectively? I love that question because there is, it's really about the mindset. That's what I tell people. It's, you know, you're making a big, big change, especially if you're coming without the technical background and you need to recognize that, like just validate that, affirm that, and then really expect and be ready to just jump right in. And when I say jump right in, it's like very, in many ways, right? So I speak to people, you know, I'm networking, I'm speaking to people who are just coming into it and I kind of throw the question at them. Like, you know, are you like really embracing that life of being a designer? You know, you finish your, your bootcamp, you're going into the bootcamp, you really have to position yourself that this is like, you're hugging your decision. You know, this is a decision you love, you're excited about it. Your mentality, your whole outlook is very optimistic. You know, you're reading about it, you're watching about it. And because especially if you're not coming from that tech background or design background, right, you have to sort of catch up. And some people can kind of get stressed out from that or, you know, get down, but really it's just an opportunity for growth, right? And it's about positioning all these things in your mind so that it's motivating and encouraging and doesn't bring you down, but not just doesn't bring you down, that it really gets you going. I think the best way is to, you know, make a fair, honest assessment. What skills do you have? What skills don't you have that you need? And figure out a plan, right? Strategize, strategize how you're going to get there. So if you're really good at graphic design, but you're really suck at meeting new people and you've read that UX design is a very collaborative like field, you know, you're going to be uh, working with PMs, with developers, all kinds of people, and you're super shy or super, whatever it is, right? So that's a skill you have to work on. How are you going to work on that? Maybe you're going to have to like read about it. Maybe you're going to have to sign up for a networking, whatever it is that the skills that you are lacking, right? Because a lot of people come into UX from other fields. So you have to know for yourself. What is it that I'm lacking? And not just what am I lacking, how am I going to make up for that? That's all part of this like general umbrella of really embracing this decision. And you're you can't you can't like touch it with your toe, right? The touch, the touching it with your toe to see like, is this something I like? Is when you're doing your research on the field, when you're like, oh, what is UX design? Okay, cool. Let me like, you know, watch some YouTube videos. 
But the second you've decided to do this, you have to do everything you can to to really not not catch up because I don't like the like stress that that <laughs> connotates or, or puts on. But you have to do everything to just put yourself in there and love it and get into it. And in terms of that, so you have the mindset, Shana, you you said, I'm going to do this brain station thing. In terms of payment plans, I know you said some people do this part time. Some are just going full steam ahead with this field. So are payment plans like reasonable? Is it do you have to pay all up front? Is it 50 50s and monthly plans? Or is it once you get a job, they take a certain percentage? Like how, how does the finance work? Yeah, good question. And you definitely want to clarify this before going in because these boot camps usually range between 10,000 to 15,000 depending on the length of time and, you know, different factors. I know with the school that I went with, they had a lot of different payment plans. So you could pay upfront, you could pay in two installments, four installments and up to like 2 years or so. I think that, you know, everyone kind of chooses what works for them, but I'm pretty sure that they're quite flexible in terms of payment plan and, you know, that aspect of it. I would assume different schools have, you know, different types of plans. So it might change a little by little depending on the school. But yeah, usually they're quite flexible in terms of payment. Okay, you said it up to 10 grand, which is a lot of money. And like BrainStation General Assembly, these schools just came up in the past recent years. So is there still stigma compared to going to a traditional college uh, or university? It, do they even offer these programs in those traditional schools? Or is it more at these private institutions that can give you these skills because the university colleges are behind in what type of skills that are needed in the next five to 10 years? Really, really good question. And I think this is kind of the start of a conversation that's just you know, hitting on a big discussion right now in the tech space specifically. I think that there's definitely somewhat related fields in university. So I know people that study human-computer interaction, which is obviously quite related to the field, or uh, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm assuming it's, you know, very, very related. I'll put it like this. There are definitely classes in university that are related or similar. I think the advantage of the boot camp is you get the skills, you get this foundation and base of knowledge of what you need. Yes, you're going to finish the program. You're going to need to build on top of that. You're not going to be the most well-rounded, you know, understanding designer. You're going to have kind of this like basic toolkit and it's going to be on you to go and explore how you can get more experience and, you know, more like fine tune those skills. But in terms of the stigma, like you're saying, I think that now more than ever, there's this opening in people's understanding of educational background, you know, and I tell people that I don't have an undergraduate degree and, you know, I not even I don't have, I never even went to a university or a college and people don't even blink an eye. Like, it's, it's cool. People say, wow, that's so interesting. And it, I think in a way it speaks more about you, you know, if you have this kind of interesting path you did, people are so embracing of that. And it makes them curious to hear more. And nowadays, I think the focus is on the skills. The focus is on the proof, right? Like if you can prove that you're right for the job, no one really cares if you did this or that in school. And that should be with the disclaimer that of course, there's gonna be certain opportunities and certain companies that will care because I can't speak for everyone. Absolutely, there's gonna be opportunities that you might not be able to get because you don't have that kind of, um, you know, what they're looking for, university background or whatever. But I think in terms of what I've seen and my opportunities that I've seen, there's really such an open mind to people that go to boot camps, people that are self-taught even, you know, and I think it's amazing. It's amazing because you're able to save that time of the four years. You're able to save the money, the cost of education and the cost of moving sometimes. 
And it's really, really amazing that it's kind of making it so normal and so acceptable to find this other avenue of education because education doesn't look like one thing, right? Education can look like many different ways of knowing about a field and about an industry. So I think absolutely people are definitely open to the boot camp. I think the most important thing is to prove yourself afterwards. I think with the pandemic, it even the playing field, because for me, just a quick story on, on my side, I took an online marketing certification at Cornell in early 2010s. And when I went to do interviews, they were impressed that it was Cornell. But then when I told them it was just an online program, it kind of lost the allure of Cornell. But with COVID, I think it really evened the playing field because when you can't have in-person classes in university and it's online, it's you, there's not really anything that helps them stand out compared to all the other alternative sources now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was going to say, I'm glad you brought that up. Exactly. Because of this pandemic, like everything has turned online, right? Like there's networking, there's school, the craziest professions are suddenly on Zoom, right? Like learning in, in university on Zoom. And it's totally shattered the glass there. It's totally shattered the glass because now it's almost odd if someone is learning in the classroom and it's like, what? Like, what kind of exception did you need to do that? And so I think it's understandable, like it's a given that the companies and that these schools have adapted somewhat to going virtual. I know with every cohort in the boot camps, they get more and more embracing and into the virtual space, right? But yeah, like the pandemic has totally broken the glass there and people are totally like hardly blink an eye when you say that. I, so, so I think, yeah, from 2012, you said, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I graduated now, in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think from 2012 till now, there's definitely probably a big difference in the way it's kind of looked at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, things have definitely shifted. And I actually saw a funny graphic when the pandemic first hit about mm -hmm. online streaming services and the prices. I think, for example, like Netflix was $100, Hulu was 200 and then Harvard was 50K. So <laughs> it's definitely when you compare it to Apple's Apple in terms of online uh, content, it does kind of put a, a bad name to the like top schools charging so much just for online classes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's hilarious, though. Let's go back to the uh, the program for BrainStation. Mm -hmm. uh, you took it in 2020. I'm assuming you took it when the pandemic happened, so it was all online. Yes, yes, it was all online, yes. All right, uh, can you give a high-level overview of the pace of the education, how much uh, application uh, compared to theory that you learn, and what did you get at the end of it? I understand that some programs, they do give you like a portfolio piece that you can share. Mm -hmm. So can you just tell us, the audience, more a high-level overview of the program in terms of the type of content you learn and the pace of it? Absolutely. And this is something, again, great question. You're going to definitely want to clarify this. Might change from school to school, but I can speak from my experience. The program is full-time, nine to five learning hours. And they, you know, they say, oh, this is an immersive program. This is very intense. And I think everyone goes into that kind of like scoffing, like, eh, like I've done something really intense in my life. I can handle this. Okay, it is really intense. You need to really, really know that beforehand. You need to really expect to devote all your time and pretty much, if you can, just put your life on hold for those three months, assuming it's as intense as my program was or if you're looking to do BrainStation and really throw yourself all in. And this ties into the mentality, uh, the mindset thing I was saying before. It's intense. It's the workload is, there's. it's big. It's a lot. It's heavy, you know? And I think that the actual, okay, so the actual learning hours are nine to five. And the way that it worked when I was there, 
is it's all on Zoom. You're constantly either in a lecture where your educator is kind of going through a topic in design with examples, and then usually there's lab work at the end where they'll kind of give you a way to practice that. Sometimes the lab work is with other peers, which is great. Like when you're in breakout rooms and you're kind of talking about it and doing it together, sometimes you'll do the lab and then present it to the class. It's kind of always split like that. Half the time you're in the room learning about the topic and then you're practicing it. I like that setup because for me, practicing it was the most important part. That's when you test yourself. That's when you're really learning. Aside from that, that's like the day, right? Then you have a break for lunch. Sometimes, you know, your educators will give you a couple breaks just to breathe, grab some water or coffee, whatever. But then when the class ends, there's a lot of assignments that are due. Different, like units have different projects. I think there's like four or five different units throughout the course of three months. And each unit is broken down into different deliverables. So each deliverable, you're going to be submitting different kinds of things. But you're really, the whole like aspect and the whole energy at the time is you're really giving it your all and you're really, really working hard to deliver your best results, of course, right? So we, I know me and my friends, we would stay up super late, pulling, you know, all nighter sometimes, trying to really perfect our, our deliverables and whatever we were submitting. And the marking, like, you know, the marking is tough. You have to really really deliver well. It's it's not a joke, you know? I think some people go in kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll breeze through and you're going to be in for a surprise. This is something you really have to take head on and really kind of go in knowing that this is going to be challenging. This is going to push you, you know, push you to your limits a bit, but it's an incredible feeling as well, right? Because you're really going to see the results. If you, if you go in properly and ready to do that, you will see the results. With regards to like you, you asked, especially what we learned, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you cover you cover everything. You cover the basics. You cover a lot of the UX process. So I think what makes UX UX is that it's a lot of process based in order to to get to a certain goal. You're going to cover that. You're going to cover all the things like color, user interface, grids and spacing, testing, research, design thinking, responsive design. It's very comprehensive. You're going to cover all the bases you're not going to necessarily cover all the bases as in-depth as the other ones. So you might spend more time, let's say, understanding design thinking or user how to conduct user interviews and less time somewhere else. I would say throughout the course, you definitely get a nice, well-rounded toolkit of what you're going to need, but you definitely need to brush up on things once you're going to be in your first position. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so what type of technical tools do you also learn? Uh, I know because uh, I work with some like UX UI design clients, and there's these prototyping tools such as Envision. So do you learn about those too? Yeah, I would think that the the main kind of programs you cover are going to be Sketch, Figma, and Envision, which is kind of depends what and where you're working, but that is a really good starting position to be. These tools have a lot of depth to them, so I'm not sure if you're going to cover. Actually, I'm pretty sure when I was there, we didn't cover all the abilities of this. Like I know Figma now has incredible tools, auto layout and all these things that are really, really, you know, enhance your performance and efficiency of using them. And I think I'm not sure if we covered them all to the full extent of them. But yeah, you will learn Figma, you will learn Sketch, you will learn Envision, which is, you know, where you take your screens and prototype them so that they're responsive, uh, so that, you, you know, they're, they're functioning. To some, to some extent. I think those are, yeah, those are the three. I know we did touch on some of these other programs. I think Principal, Zeppelin, but you don't 
principle for sure you don't get a good understanding of because it's you know more motion design and you kind of touch it for like a day or two just for fun to kind of give you a taste and uh, zeppelin you learn a little bit but yeah i would say the main ones are sketch figma and envision yes to tie into that and your previous comment about how some people assume that this program is just a breeze. There's, there's an assumption that these private schools, private programs, they have a 100% enrollment rate. They just want your money and they give you a certificate at the end regardless of how well you do. But from what you said, is not the case. There's a lot of hard work and they and these instructors do mark you hard. Because again, like as you said, there's the reputations online. So they want to give you the best educational experience as possible. So you're ready for the uh, workforce in this field. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's hard work. Their reputation is on the line. They're tough markers. They're definitely tough markers. I know myself, a lot of my classmates, you know, almost every time we got our mark back, a lot of us would be like, what? I worked so hard. Oh my gosh, they marked too hard. And I think now looking back, it's better that way, right? It's better to to constantly be chasing a better mark. Um, not in the sense that that should be your goal, right? Because I think also you kind of need to chill. It's not about the mark. It's about understanding the concept. And a lot of times, you know, design is inherently subjective and whatnot. But I think in the sense that it's better to have that kind of dynamic going on in your boot camp versus like, oh, yeah, you know, you just submit anything and you get your 95, whatever. Yes, it's hard work. They really try to prepare you well. That's fantastic. And in terms of the instructors, what's generally their experience? Are they UX, UI design leaders in like top tech companies or where? what's their background? Yeah, I think the lead educators are, I would say, mid to senior more senior, senior UX designers that have a lot of experience under their belt. I would say like at least five years experience working in, you know, very different kinds of companies or whatever. They always answer questions very well. They, you know, they have a really good grasp on the field, on the industry. They bring in like, you know, anecdotal stories and whatever to really, you know, drive points home. I wouldn't say necessarily they come from the top tech companies per se, but they come from great backgrounds. They're solid UX designers. They're seniors. They're definitely seniors, as far as I know, at least. And the TAs, I think, are kind of like alumni that graduated like kind of right before you. But from what I understand, most of the TA work is is marking, and sometimes you're kind of running like little morning kickoffs. But TAs are amazing. There's there's a really good energy. The TAs are amazing. The educators are really there for you. They're pretty supportive. You know, they set up one-on-one calls with you. They try to help you out as much as possible. That's great. And in terms of accessibility of these instructors and TAs, can you email them anytime uh, throughout the program? And can you even talk to them after you graduate if there's any after program support? So after program support, this definitely doesn't run through the educators. It would run through like the career success team, which is a whole nother team from the school. During the program, you can, for us, we would communicate with our TAs and our educators through Slack mostly. I think some people would email them. They were pretty, they were pretty easy to reach. I never reached them too often, so I'm not sure if other people had different experiences, but from what I know, from what I understood, from what I experienced, they're pretty easy to reach. They're pretty open to helping you as much as possible. In terms of career success, right? After the program, it's definitely more on your own. There are people you can speak to, to kind of help out with individual questions or, you know, like the nitty gritty things that you're not sure of, especially like, how do I word this? What do I do? Someone asked me to do this design challenge or whatever. They're definitely going to be there for that. But in terms of the actual, like looking for a job, you are on your own. You need to be the one doing the work. All right. Now we're getting to the good stuff because everybody who's listening wants to know what's the job placement percentage or what happens after. 
Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so, is there any any job search support like prior? I, I know like some programs that help you with like interview prep. They might review your resume. Uh, is there any of that for BrainStation, or is it really just on your own?、Mm, okay, you you brought that up, and I almost forgot that that had happened. <laughs> okay, so I think that they have changed a bit from when I was there. I think now there's more of structure involved. When I was there, we sub. In terms of during the program, we submitted our resume once and got feedback. Think I submitted it again and didn't receive anything back. So they look at your resume once. Someone will reach out to you. They're very big on you know building your LinkedIn presence and whatnot. And I think they'll reach out to you if they see anything like alarming. I'm trying to remember if there was anything else. They cover a lot of like kind of industry standards, what you can expect to see. That being said, when you graduate. If you're expecting them to secure your job for you, no, they're not going to do that for you. They're not going to even like forward you interviews. That's like dreamland. That's not happening. Okay, you need to put in the effort and really help yourself. Okay, they're going to arrange one-on-one calls. They'll kind of follow up. They'll ask you how you're doing. At the end of the day, you need to graduate with you need you need to finish the program with a strategy what you're going to be doing to secure a job. They can offer you advice. They'll help you, like I said, with those little scenarios that come up. They're helpful and informative if you reach out to them, but you really are on your own. You need to be ambitious. You need to be you. You need to be ready and driven to do the dirty work that is looking for a job. Right? They do share a lot of postings, a ton of postings. Shout out to Lindsay. Thank you so much. They share a lot of postings of different jobs that are coming up. But you you have to be the one to be like oh that sounds cool I'm gonna go and do that no one is doing that for you and I think sometimes people underestimate you know just the actual dirty work that is job applying you know applying for jobs is is tough you really want to do it and do it right and they do not do that for you yeah you got to take the initiative because even in traditional university programs they don't guarantee you anything right it's all about giving you the、exactly. tools but you have to be proactive to actually get yourself out there. Uh, yes, and in、yes. terms of just to summarize、uh, what you said, they do give you like a rundown how what to expect in terms of the interview process as a UX UI designer. They do take a look at your resume and they do have their own、uh, job portal in terms of listings that you could apply for. But other than that, you're on your own after, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you summarized that really well. Yep. All right, so let's talk about your dirty work in terms of getting full time position as a UX UI design. Okay, so you've graduated,、uh, you have your portfolio piece. What did you do after in terms of locking down that position in order to successfully transition to UX UI design? Good question. This one is probably the biggest one I get asked, and maybe the most important one because while you're in the program, there's a lot going on. You're surrounded by, you know, a lot of support. It's very motivating, and a lot of people graduate, and they're kind of like, "Wow, what now?" Right? I think the biggest thing I realized one one of the big things I realized from BrainStation is your potential for productivity, right? Because you're waking up so early, you're working the entire day, and you work and you finish your day of learning, and then you're just going out and pumping out these deliverables. And you kind of finish three months later, and you're like, "Wow, that was insane! That was insane!" And you're you're proud of yourself. And so for me, I realized, "Wow, you know, if I'm able to be that productive during the program, and obviously that's not that's not maintainable, right? And that's not the point to maintain that kind of level of productivity. But you're able to realize that we all have this potential and this ability that we might not always be tapping into. So." I think, to be perfectly honest, everyone finishes the program and needs a break, like at least a week, two weeks off, <laughs> and you're gonna finish really tired, really drained, 
And I know some people like full on take vacations afterwards. You need it a few, a few weeks off. And I think one of the things people do is they fix their portfolio because a lot of the pieces you're going to have delivered for, you know, as a deliverable, you, you sometimes send in your portfolio pieces. So a lot of people take time to kind of brush up their portfolio. But I think one thing really important, the first thing I would say is set a schedule for yourself. Set structure as, as best as possible to your day. So wake up, wake up, <laughs> okay? Step number one, wake up. Wake up early, wake up on time, get yourself that coffee. And looking for a job should be the full-time job. If, if obviously, if your circumstance and situation allows for it, but if, you know, if you're not working another job and you're home, you don't have to pay whatever, make this your full-time job, absolutely. Set a schedule for yourself, give structure to your day, that's first of all. And make your mindset that your number one priority is to get a job. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about being the mindset. And it's really about realizing this is your priority, this is your goal, kind of getting your plan. So for me, from the kind of background I had, a lot of what I needed and wanted to work on was getting my, you know, just just broadening my network. So for me, I got involved in just a bunch of different things. I've reached out to people. I joined Lunch Club, which is a super cool thing, and setting up coffee chats all over. So for me, a big part of it was just networking. But I will say there was a there was a point where, you know, a few weeks a few weeks after I'd started networking, I had to really reevaluate because I was just spending too much time on things like networking and not enough time like really strategizing to get the job. So make a plan for what you need to build. Like, what are you missing? Are you missing your network? Are you do you need to really just brush up on design skills? What is it that you need? Allocate some time for that, but don't forget the real thing is the job at the end of the day. And I think one of the things, obviously, the first thing you need to do is fix your portfolio and make sure you have cover letters and your resume is looking amazing. That's the, first, that's the basics, right? You can't look for a job without a beautiful resume, a nice, decent portfolio, and get ready to start writing some cover letters because as personalized as you can make it. I think another aspect after you graduate is to get a mentor. And there's so much I can say on that, but I would say try to find someone you can be consistent with, someone that's going to know you and understand you and that you can really vibe with because that helps tremendously. And I think really when you just have to do that dirty work, get on all these job sites, stay organized, make a spreadsheet, where you're applying, when, and find the best way to stick out, advocate for yourself. You're going to need to be the, your biggest advocate. All right. And in terms of you getting interviews, was it mostly through your network or did you get most of your responses from online applications on sites such as Indeed and LinkedIn jobs? So I think this one's going to depend on the person. For me, like I said, I didn't have a strong professional network at the time. And there's a lot of talk about referrals and referrals. At the end of the day, I knew for me that wasn't something I can I can book in just yet. So for me, really all my interviews, I think one came from the demo day that they arranged. They arranged this demo day where all the grads kind of present their present their portfolio or present the project. So I think I got like one string of interviews from that. And afterwards it was all from LinkedIn or indeed, you know, all those job hunting places. So it depends. If you're someone with a really strong network, you know you have people in all kinds of industries in the tech space, you're gonna want to tap into that. If you're someone like me, coming from kind of an unconventional background, not really having that. You're going to want to build up your network and really go just that old fashioned way of applying. I think people get really scared when they think of applying old, like in, in this old way where you're just like sending your application because it feels like you are just another random person. You don't really have the, the leg up, right? 
And I think the best way to do that old fashioned way is to make yourself pop, make yourself stand out, right? Do some self-branding so that when they come to you, it's not just like you're another random person. It's like you're, you're delivering a message about your work ethic, about your style, whatever it is. So there's personal branding. And then there's when you're applying to a specific job, who's posting the job? The second you have a name, you know, send them a message. Hi, you know, I've just applied to your job. I'd love to chat with whatever it is. Find people at the company, other designers there and say, hey, you know, either you can just ask for an informational interview to ask them about their job and how it's going. Or you can literally just, you know, just say, hey, I just applied for this job. Here's my resume. I would love if you can forward this on. Totally no pressure. Keep it like you're not asking for a favor. I mean, you're 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 asking for a favor, but there's no pressure whatsoever. So if they're like a nice person, they don't mind. They check you out. You look you look great. They'll, they'll forward it on. So I know there's some people that say that's wrong and that people should only be asking for referrals from people that have seen their work. I think that you're an entry level person. They know what what kind of person they're getting altogether. I wouldn't really so much worry about that. That won't necessarily work so much of the time, but my message here is really do whatever you can to stand out and advocate for yourself as much as possible. You know, speak to that hiring manager, speak to the person who posted the job. Maybe they won't respond, but what did you lose, right? And I think if you're going to take it as as quietly watching in the corner, no one's gonna come to you saying, you know, hey Shayna, we got a great job for you. Oh, you're an entry-level designer. Um, you know, you have no real work experience. We want you, right? <laughs> you have to find the way to 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 express your value, to position yourself as best as possible and really, really go for it. Speaking of positioning yourself, you, you graduate Brain Station, you only have a portfolio, so you don't have any real client work experience. So how does one create a resume position as a UX UI designer with only the education portion? Do you have to do some freelancing before and to add that on your resume? Or how do you position the resume effectively to say, yes, I only have education, but I also have done some other projects as well? Amazing question. So freelancing is not for everyone. If you know freelancing is your route, it's a very different process altogether. I wouldn't necessarily freelance just to get a job. In my opinion, it's a little backwards. I wouldn't think that's the best route, like way, way to go about things. But you're right, right? You're finishing this program. You have no experience. You're, every day that goes on, your kind of <laughs> stress levels are going up and you're kind of like wondering, how are you going to get this job? You don't have any experience. And I think that is where you need to show the, show the company either that you're in the middle of getting experience or that you don't have the experience, but that you have the character and you are the type of person that adapts to a new experience, right? For me, I think nothing speaks more than having that experience. So get involved in projects. I think my one big warning, and this is where I made a big mistake, don't get involved in too many projects. <laughs> There's a lot of people that would like you to help them out with something. You don't wanna be end up, end up spending all your time on these little projects. I would say find, an opportunity, one place where you, where you know you're going to work hard, you're going to learn, hopefully a place with other designers and offer to help out. And there's a lot of places that are kind of like, you know, small startups looking for volunteers. And again, I know that there's a lot of backlash here too, because it, you know, some people say that it cheapens the value of design, but at the same time, you are a pretty bad designer at that point. You're really trying to just get that real world experience and improve. 
I think long-term that's not good. You don't want to be offering services for free, and but that's not the case. That's not what's going on, right? So either I would say find an opportunity where you can practice and where you can put that down, you know, oh, I'm helping out the startup, you know, they're working on their MVP and, and be able to speak about it so that, you know, you're actually, you're actually being involved. But in terms of resume, you can put your projects from school and, you know, there's a lot of graduate resumes that position it differently where your projects come first and then your, your, your education comes next. You need to be able to show why, even though you haven't been working for a few years, you still have the ability and the minimal experience that shows you're a qualified and really viable candidate for them. All right. And in terms of your job search process, what was the interview process like? Because I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I see some of these UX UI designers that have multiple rounds of interviews. So how intensive is the interview process for this field? Yes. Yes. Good question. I think that entry level to mid-level to senior level all has a little bit of a different interview process. Most companies, when they're looking to get a new entry level designer, they're not going to take you on like this crazy roller coaster to get the job. They know that you're entry level. They know that, you know, they can't be throwing too much at you in order to get it. And most of them have put this budget together either way. They're not going crazy over this. I would say the first thing is usually a phone screening where they're just going to speak to you and find out a little bit about you. Or sometimes you'll just be invited right away for the first interview. After the phone screening or your first interview over video or in person, I mean, for me, it was always through just a video call. They're just going to ask you all the typical things, where you've been, your experience. They might ask you some behavioral questions. They're going to ask you what you've worked on, kind of the basics, cover, covering all the basics. And I think from there, if they like you, they sometimes will just give you a design challenge right after that first one. I mean, when they come back to you, they'll ask you to finish a, a design challenge. For me, I've never had anything crazy. Most of them were just like redesign this screen or come up with this. I would say it's normal. Don't freak out. They want to see that you have some kind of ability and skill there. Don't go crazy. Don't overdo it. You know, you want to show them who you are. And I think I should, I should really pause for a moment and say there are companies that send out design challenges as your first touch point. So if you're going to be applying to a company and they send you a design challenge before they've even met you, in my books, in most people's books, that's a huge red flag. So if a company is asking you to do design work for them or, you know, in quotations, design challenge, that's a red flag. They don't even know your name. They, they, they don't even know you. They've never met you yet. And they're asking you. And, and you know, a, a quick story. One time I had applied somewhere and the person wrote back, hi, Shayna, we're so excited for your application. Here's a link to the design challenge, whatever, whatever. And I was like, well, I, I, I didn't meet you yet, but okay. So I click into this Google Doc or whatever. There were like 15 other people on this Google Doc at the same time. And I, my mouth dropped. I was like, wow, you're sending me this design challenge, not just because, you know, you don't have the time or whatever to meet me, which, by the way, that says about a company if they can't find 10 minutes to phone screen a candidate, right? But not only that, you're coming on and clearly they've just sent this out to every applicant. And, and you know, like I just X the tab and that was it. That was it because that's a big, big red flag. So they might expect you to do some kind of design challenge, but it's very unusual if they're going to be asking you to do it before they've even met you. And after that design challenge, they'll usually call you back for a third and final interview, maybe with like the CEO, if it's a startup or, you know, some other parts of the team, if it's a bigger company. And usually after that third interview, or if they've called you back after the design challenge, you're in a good position. 
nail that third one and you're probably going to be getting an offer. Another whole conversation about what to do with offers and negotiating, but I would say that kind of summarizes the interview process. I would say, oh, another thing, really be ready to go through your portfolio. So they're, they're going to ask you to open your portfolio and walk them through one of your projects. Sometimes they'll ask you to choose a project. Sometimes they'll choose one at random. Know all of your projects inside out like really, really know them. One time I was asked to open up one of my portfolio pieces that I hadn't looked at and I was so embarrassed <laughs> and just a really good idea to always look through your projects and be able to talk about them. I mean, it ended up working out and it was fine. And obviously you just want to be your genuine self. That, that helps too, you know, and that's okay. But really another tip of advice, just go through your projects, make sure and make sure you're able to speak about them from a specific lens. So if you were speaking to a developer, how do you speak about this project? If you were speaking to the branding manager or whatever, what, through different lenses, right? You have to be able to kind of take that different lens on it. Going back to what you said about how they just want you to walk them through your portfolio. I actually worked with a client in UX UI design. And yeah. the, the first part of the interview was, it was a Zoom call or a video interview. And they had her portfolio right at the start and they told her to walk them through the portfolio so that is not other than norm they do want to make sure that you understand the ux ui design principles and how do you apply to multiple projects yes yes absolutely and worth worth reiterating yes yes portfolio is a big one it's not just something you have to design to have on the web they're going to ask you to see it to go through it and it's the biggest expression of your work and you need to be able to go through it absolutely like that's, I would say number one, your portfolio is you and your work and your skills, everything put together. Make sure it's good. <laughs> so from a percentage perspective, let's break it down. So there's the portfolio, there's usually the design challenge and then the standard behavioral uh, experience questions. So from a focus standpoint, how much do you devote in terms of preparation for each? So let's say that your portfolio should be 50% of your focus and then 25 would be the design challenge and then 25 would be more about getting your elevator pitch down and practicing behavioral questions. So what would be the percentage in terms of the focus to make sure you're really prepared when you go into these interviews? I think your portfolio shouldn't be something that's too hard to nail. I think once you're ready to apply for a job, you've already kind of touched it up and made it made it nice. So your portfolio should be something you, you update versus like something that's you know, this ongoing crazy project. So if you need to take a month, work on your portfolio and then start applying, fine. Also done is better than perfect. Like a thousand times over done is better than perfect. I know people that wait like months and months and months because they're still working on their portfolio. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be, think of your portfolio. Like you need an MVP. You need something that's going to be nice, be presentable, but it doesn't have to be the most elaborate, fancy portfolio either. They want to see your work, right? Don't, don't take it over the top either. But your portfolio, what I'm trying to say is once you finished it and once you're like, okay, I'm ready to start looking for a job, shouldn't be taking up too much of your space or time. Besides for that, I would say if they give you a design challenge, really try to do that one nicely because there's going to be other candidates. That's usually the way that they're weeding out candidates, right? Try to put your full, your full force forward with that. And your behavioral questions also, there's a lot of ways to like position and respond I think you want to prepare. So like you want to prepare stories and scenarios. You want to learn, you know, learn about the star method of responding, situation, task, action, results, right? You want to sound cohesive and engaged and put together, but you also want to be yourself. So if there's a time where you just need to say, 
you know what, like that was bring a story where you, you know, you just, just be prepared to be yourself. They really want to see just who you are. Are you able to admit failure? Are you able to recover from a loss, whatever it is. But I would say a lot of times people kind of respond to behavioral questions with like this over perfect version and people can kind of see through that. So just be yourself, understand that everyone's human, right? Even if you have to speak about a time that you were human, you know, hopefully the company understands that and you're, you're positioning it in the best way possible, but be genuine, right? Be genuine, be real, be open. And yeah, if you do get that design challenge, really do it the best that you can without, you know, without like losing sleep over it, obviously. For sure. And going back to what you said about red flags and how this company gave you a design challenge without even speaking to you, what are other red flags that you've experienced in terms of the job search process that up and coming UX, UI designers should watch out for? Because I, I do know in terms of this type of field or in, in even other fields such as graphic design, there are companies that want to take advantage of you and just want free work, but they have no intention of actually hiring you. So what type of red flags should they look out for as well? Yeah, I think it's really important to get a general sense of the company. So sometimes things will be a red flag, but you won't even be able to really pinpoint why. If they're just treating you weird and they're not responding to you on time and they're rescheduling your interview too much, that's just a general red flag, right? There's nothing one big thing that's like stands out. So there could just be a general feeling you get from a company and that's okay too. I think in general, when you get red flags, it's okay to let a company go. There's going to be a company for you. There's going to be a position for you. Don't get emotionally attached to any job, any company, whatever it is. Red flags, definitely giving you a design challenge before they've met you, right? That's a huge red flag right there. I think another red flag could be if you're asking them about the interview process or you're asking them any information and they don't give you time of day or they kind of brush you off. So if you're asking about, you know, okay, what can I expect afterwards? Or how do you guys usually deal with this? And they're brushing off your question. That's going to be a red flag. That means they already see you as like, you know, just a little worker. <laughs> and um, you, the, the feeling you should be getting from an interview is mutual, is this respect, right? They're respecting you as a candidate and you're respecting them as a potential employer. And if at any point of the process, you feel like they are not respecting you, run it by a friend, run it by a mentor. Be like, hey, you know, they, they sent this response. It seemed a little terse. It seemed a little, you know, unusual. What do you think? And getting another eye on the scenario will really help you know if this is something that's normal or not. And look, sometimes, Max, like sometimes interviews get rescheduled. Sometimes they double book. Nothing is really like that situation isn't really a huge red flag. Oh my gosh, they rescheduled my interview. Things come up, right? Life happens. They're a busy company, let's say. But if they're like ignoring you, responding super late and like with little detail or at the interview, they don't answer your questions with respect or appropriately. I would say that's another red flag. Great. That's extremely insightful for uh, the, my audience in terms of the interview process and what to watch out for. So going back to you, how did it feel to finally land a full-time job as a UX UI designer? <laughs> Amazing. It's one of the best feelings in the world, especially when you're coming from a background where you don't have that, you know, where you're coming from a totally different industry. Really, really grateful to everyone that helped you along the way. Really, really grateful to even like your classmates, you know, the people that were with you in your cohort, anyone along your journey of becoming this new, you know, entering this new field, 
really, really grateful towards them, really grateful towards your company for taking the chance with you. And also, I think you need to realize that even when you land your first position, you're going to be learning a ton. There's going to be a lot of things you still don't know. And that's okay, right? The first few months, you're just really learning the ropes, learning about a lot of, maybe they do things a little bit differently. Maybe, you know, the handoff is surprising, whatever it is that, and, and, and you know, there, there is there is a lot. There is a lot because you're coming from an academic environment to a real world environment. And so there's going to be those discrepancies. But it's amazing. It's motivating. It's exciting. But there's there's also hard work involved, right? Like once you have the job, it is a job. You're going to be working. You're going to be trying to really just give it your all. And, you know, it's an incredible learning experience. Like there is, you're just soaking up so much from that first position. But it really makes all that hard work worth it. Really, you're going to be like pushing yourself to apply and work here and work there. And when you secure that position, there's nothing like that sigh of relief you can just give when you have something secured and it's all good. It all worked. It all paid off, you know? Absolutely. And I know people don't like talking about their fails, but I think it really humanizes how long it actually takes. So can you tell us a rundown in terms of how long it took you to go from graduation to this full-time opportunity you're working at right now? And then how many rejections did you get in throughout the job search interview process? Absolutely. I think that I think you're 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 really right, you know, like being open and sharing this kind of information really lets you know it's hard, it's tough, and everyone goes through it. So I finished Brain Station, I finished my boot camp, I think September 18th, like mid-September. And I took off like I think a month or so, like I said, just to polish your portfolio, kind of take a breather, take that time to just for yourself, kind of recuperate even, you know, <laughs> need some recuperation time after that. We had a demo day two weeks later where we all presented our projects and they kind of invite all their industry partners to come watch. I did get a lead from that and we went through the interview process and I ended up getting rejected. I think I got rejected in total, like meaning after I'd started interviewing two or three times. And that one didn't end up going through that I had started from demo day, which was like two weeks after the 18th or whatever. So that was quite early on. I only really started applying for jobs the end of October. So like a month, six weeks later, I started applying. I made a spreadsheet. You want to keep track of these things, like where you found the job, save a screenshot of the job description so you can refer to it later if you need to. So I started applying October, late October. JD Power, where I'm working now, was actually one of the earlier companies I applied to. And I only heard back from them a few weeks later, actually, which is why I say, like, start applying even if your portfolio isn't perfect, because you might only hear back from them in a few weeks. So I started applying to jobs in general late October. And I'm pretty sure I signed my contract with JD Power mid-December. So that's about, like, two months or so. It ranges. Some people, it takes them two weeks, some people it takes them, you know, eight months, whatever it is. It's going to depend on your strategy, how much time you have to devote to this. I think mine was pretty quick. At least it felt pretty quick that I wasn't like really doing that much intense job hunting for too long, right? Like October 28th or whatever I started and like December 15th, I was signing. I'm grateful for that. I think I got lucky. I think it was amazing that it all worked out. Don't be upset. Don't be dejected if it takes longer. You might just want to reevaluate what's your strategy right now? Where can you change things up so that you're finding more success? So we're really like, I would say a big word to people who are listening, like it's going to vary by person and don't, don't compare yourself, right? Compare yourself to yourself. That's the only person you should be comparing yourself to. If you're being more productive than you were last year, you know, everyone has a different background, different life experiences. 
And it's totally fine if it's taking you more time than the rest of your entire cohort, you know? You just wanna make sure that you're doing it as best as possible. If you're finding that you are applying and you're really trying to do things the right way and you're really not seeing results after a couple of months, really get, get people on board. Don't be scared to be vulnerable, ask for help. Be like, you know, reach out to your bootcamp, reach out to your mentors, whatever it is. And ask for help because if it's not working after a while, you you yeah, you do need to reevaluate and make sure you have a good plan, a good plan in place. So it varies. It definitely varies, but I would say anywhere from like, you know, very quickly within a month to eight months later, people sometimes people are still looking. There's no real given set time. Absolutely. And there's only so many factors you can control uh, in terms of like the throughout the hiring process. But the only thing you can control is your actions, right? So as you said, just be proactive, network, uh, apply online, build up your portfolio, do whatever you can control. And then over time, you will get that result, which is that job. Yes, yes, absolutely. You are controlling your own actions, your own response to things. Absolutely. So when you did get that job with JD Power, I'm assuming BrainStation called you up, say, oh, did you end up getting a job? And you're, yeah, yeah, I got it. And now you're a statistic for them, right? Say, oh, um, UX, UI designers uh, that graduate are X percent going to like to be hired, right? Are, are you now a good statistic <laughs> or a good case study for BrainStation? Yes, I think it's funny because I've spoken to a lot of people and we think that the numbers, let's just say we're not sure how accurate the numbers are. I'm not on that back end of things. It could be that it's accurate, but I am very doubtful. No, you know, nothing wrong. I mean, arguably, but I would say don't be fooled, let's say, or, you know, by a percentage or a number because you could fall into the 4% that doesn't make it right away. You know, like it's not about the number. It's really about if you are motivated and you are driven and you allow yourself you know, you have a plan in place and you believe in yourself and, and you you act as your own advocate. You know, if, if these are the things in place, it's going to work out, you know, get get the help, get support, you know, run it by mentors, your strategy, how, how it's going. You'll find that job. Absolutely. I like can say that without without a, an ounce of doubt. If you are doing things the way, you know, properly and, you know, with with a plan in place and you're really, really striving your best to bring value and reach out to the recruiters that are posting the jobs and you know you're you're nailing the design challenges they're giving you you're going to get that job a thousand percent it's a matter of when right sometimes different times of the year are harder different times of the, whatever it is but yeah I, I would say don't don't look at a specific number to rely on your job success think of it as yourself you know what position are you in to get hired in the next 6 months because the numbers are very attractive. <laughs> the numbers are very attractive. Oh, wow, you know, 96%, 94%, whatever. I don't know how accurate that is. I'm not sure how they consider finding the job. You know, if someone goes back to their previous job, is that considered that they got employed within six months? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, you, you guys got to read between the lines, right? And yes. <laughs> obviously percentages and like the starting salaries, they're all for marketing purposes to get to increase enrollment, right? By the end of the day, we all have different starting points is how you finish. Yes, yes, totally. Read between the lines. We're not really sure what they're including and what, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. This was overall a great conversation. I wanted to end this discussion off with uh, one last question for you. What was the biggest learning lesson that you have experienced uh, throughout this whole journey of yours from 
going from starting in a non-technical background, taking this program at BrainStation, and then landing this job at JD Power? Really good question. Really, really good question because there's so much along the way. I think the biggest like takeaway or lesson is that with this kind of big transition, ultimately you might feel alone sometimes that you know you're doing this big thing, you're on your own. There are times that you will be, right? There are times where you're gonna be at your own with different decisions or whatever it is. I think a big takeaway is plug into your resourcefulness. Know where to go when you need help with this, when you need help with that. Really develop that skill because you could feel on your own, but you're really not. There are so many communities, so many mentors. There are so many resources out there that are geared to help you. So I think at the end of the day, it's a learning experience. You're going to learn about yourself, how capable you are, what gets you going. If anything else, you're going to learn all about your strengths and weaknesses through this. But I would say like biggest takeaway is that there's so much out there to help you. And, you know, people, it's challenging. It's a big change. And don't, you know, don't feel ever like this is something I need to, I'm all alone. There's no one out here that, you know, can help me with this. Be resourceful, but also be okay with having taken this leap on your own. You know, it's so in a way, I guess it's a, it's a bit vague, but it's a bit of a paradox that you are alone. And in a way that is a learning experience to navigate this whole new job this whole new experience, right? This whole new industry is a decision you've taken on your own, not with a whole bunch of friends, right? And at the end of the day, you're not alone. Tap into those resources, tap into your friends, tap into the network. So kind of this paradoxical sort of state of takeaway, you know, that it's okay to be taking this deep dive alone and it's courageous, it's amazing. I'm like so impressed by everyone that does it and dares dares to do it and succeeds especially, you know. But also along the way, you're not alone, you know. Get that help, find out who to talk to. And I think more than anything, the design community is so supportive in all aspects. There are like groups that just review your cover letter for you. There are groups that look at your portfolio. There are, you know, I'm part of a I'm part of a Slack group that we meet once a week for whiteboard challenge, like so many groups, so many communities to engage with. And I think, you know, as humans in our most essential being, you need that, you need that human connection. You need that support, that group, some people more than others, but yeah, I would say those two things, you are alone. Give yourself a round of applause for your decision, for your bravery, for your courage. It's incredible. Don't be scared to be alone because there are people and there are resources that can help you. Absolutely. And I'm assuming from what you're saying that when you decided to take this program, there was some criticism from friends, family members about like why you decided to do this, right? Because this is something that's unconventional based off what you told me earlier. Uh, so you did get some criticism and, and feedback about like, why, why are you doing this, right? But you said, this is what I want to do. And you just push forward. My family have to say like very supportive. My parents are very supportive of this. I think my mom was one of the first people that told me about UX, you know, very supportive family. Thank God. My friends, I wouldn't say there was criticism, but it's definitely an unconventional decision. And, you know, it's just not the same as staying within the kind of field and work that they are used to. So it is unusual. And I think there was a bit of surprise. There is still a bit of surprise now that I'm working and, you know, it worked. I think there was an element of, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, this isn't going to work, whatever. So there's surprise. It's definitely still unusual. But yeah, I think 
no matter where you're coming from. And for some people, it's even harder. You know, if you've been in an industry for 10 years, that's way harder to leave from than just having not really gotten the chance to be in an industry. But I think if this is something that really speaks to you and you are aware of what the job of a UX designer truly is, and this is really something that speaks to you, absolutely go for it. You're going to face, you know, criticism. You're going to face struggles and challenges along the way, but it's all part of kind of the test to see, can, can you really do this? And I think that's kind of what's cool about the field of UX too, just as the last point is like, almost everyone that's in UX it comes from that kind of background. You don't have to be embarrassed of it because everyone I meet is like, oh yeah, you know, come from a background of the randomest things. Sometimes it's not that random, you know, from marketing or anthropology they studied. Sometimes literally people that studied nursing and now they're a UX designer and it's so cool. It's so freaking cool. Like, I love that. I love the range of stories you get. It's truly fascinating. Yeah, and just with all these programs coming up for UX, UI design, I definitely think that this is a huge field that a lot of people want to dive into as a next career path. And overall, I really appreciate you taking the time, Shayna, to just walk my audience through your journey. How can people find you online? Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Max. I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a little contact form on my portfolio. I'm always open and ready and excited to meet new people, to have a coffee chat. If I can help you in any way, I would love to. I'd love to give back. I'd love to connect. I'd love to hear your story. Truly, that's all I've got to say. Reach out to me. I'd love to set up a time to chat and help you out, look over your work, whatever it is. Even if you're not in design, you know, if this was just a cool talk to hear, you know, and yeah, feel free. I'm on LinkedIn. Like I said, in my portfolio, just shoot me a message. Nice. Fantastic. So again, thank you for coming on and best of luck at your role as a UX UI designer. I'm really excited to see where your career takes you. Thank you, Max. Thank you. This was incredible. And thank you so much for the podcast, you know, facilitating conversation. It's just amazing. Thank you for having me. When I said at the beginning of the show that I was going to walk my audience through the complete roadmap of going from knowing nothing about UX UI design to be a full-time UX UI designer, I wasn't kidding. That was over an hour of valuable informational content to help anybody looking into getting into UX UI design with the proper steps in order to be successful. There was a lot covered in this episode. So here are the key highlights of my discussion with Shayna. When it comes to selecting the right bootcamp, yes, the people that work there are gonna praise how great their program is. It's just marketing. So if you want to get the real inside scoop in terms of how the program works and if it was worth it, definitely reach out to alumni that have graduated from that program. You can easily find alumni from doing specific LinkedIn searches. So for example, in LinkedIn, you can search up what school that they went to. So type in one of the boot camps that you are looking to enroll in and you'll find a list of alumni that have attended that program. As Shana said, the bootcamp that she went to didn't line her up with interviews. And you shouldn't be surprised because as she said, it's dreamland. A majority of educational programs, even the traditional post-secondary institutions, do not line you up with a bunch of interviews. At the end of the day, their main objective is to give you the foundation in order to succeed in your first role as a UX UI designer. And many say that bootcamps is the first step of a lifelong journey of learning in the world of UX UI design. So when you are about to graduate, definitely come up with a game plan on how to effectively launch your job search. Whether that's through networking, applying online, building out that portfolio, 
you need to have a game plan for yourself in order for you to have a successful job search to land that first UX UI design opportunity. Which goes to my last point on how generally the interview process works for UX UI design. The UX UI design interview process is fairly straightforward. You'll have your standard phone screenings. Then if you are selected, then you will have your standard interview with a mix of expertise and behavioral questions. The addition is that you will have to do a simple design challenge, which makes sense because they want to know that you actually know what you're doing. And a big tip that Shayna mentioned was that you should have a well-versed portfolio that you can walk through in depth with the company that you're interviewing with. So they fully understand your thought process and your way of thinking in UX UI design. So for anybody looking to get into UX UI design, I wish you the best of luck as it is a great career path to get into. Again, this is Chan with the Plan the Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. If you found this episode helpful, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family to help support the show. I post new episodes every Tuesday on all popular podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn where I post daily content on topics such as job search, career advice, and personal branding. That's it for me. And I'll see you next time.